Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the Open Case podcast with me, Chris Caseman. This week we have Johnny Tuffy on, Glen Avon goalkeeper. Um, Johnny's going to talk us through the ups and the downs of his career, um, where he started over in Coventry City, um, and then through and then eventually where he is now at, at captain of, of Glen Avon under Guy Hamilton. So we'll have Johnny here with us now. How you doing, mate? All right? Good, thank you, mate. Yeah, good. Um, obviously a difficult period where... We're all going through it at the minute and, and the challenges of, of lockdown, but thankfully everyone's everyone's well and and we're we're getting hopefully to, to the other the other side of it. Good stuff. Um so talk us through sort of what about nine weeks in now, the lockdown, how have you been keeping yourself um fit in terms of you know, goalkeeper obviously you're used to working with um Reggie as a goalkeeping coach and stuff, you know, partners. Um How's that been for you and, you know, what kind of things have you been doing? Well, initially, um, because we didn't obviously know how, how long the lockdown period was and, and we probably thought we would we would get back to football um, a lot sooner. You know, the emphasis was more on training specifically for football and, and the return to the competitive games. So it was it was trying to do as, as much as I, you know, could myself, um, goalkeeping-wise. Um, and obviously I'm lucky here that that Danielle plays, so I I have someone to, to serve um for me. But the long the longer it's went on and, and the longer it, it looks like you know we're not going to be playing. It it's just been general fitness, Chris, to be honest. Um getting out of run, you know, putting a few few miles in the legs and and you know for as I said, general fitness and, and also for your mental health to, to be able to get out of the house and, and, and enjoy an, an hour out on the roads or even in the evenings, just to you know, appreciating the value of a of a good walk with with the family, with with Danielle and Carter, and and seeing a a wee bit of the countryside. Yeah, you mentioned Danielle there. You said that you should have been sitting in Miami in your in your honeymoon. <laughs> yeah, married and all. Yeah, exactly, mate. You know, so we've we've had all that as well, and you know, the hotel and and the uh, the castle, sorry, where we were we were meant to get married have, have been absolutely brilliant with us, you know, and, and we've been able to move and and reschedule for. For later in the year, and you know, the most important thing is is obviously our family and friends, everyone's health and and, and well being. So, we we couldn't we couldn't risk that, and we didn't want to we didn't want to you know paper over cracks and, and do the wedding you know half hearted, um considering we we'd everything planned and arranged. So, yeah, it, as much as it's uh, disappointing, you know, we we'll get there eventually, and thankfully the weather's the weather's been great here. So the Miami and the Mexico trip can be <laughs> rearranged maybe when the weather's not too good here. Have have you set a new date at all? Or yeah, we're looking for uh, for October time. Um, we've set a date in October later this year. So again, it's all dependent on Very on the government and, and if we can if we can get the go ahead. Good stuff. Good stuff. So basically, moving moving on then till till sort of where it all started. You started out at uh, Lisburn Youth, um, sort of schoolboy days, and then obviously you got the chance to to go over to Coventry. But just before you went over to Coventry. Did you have any trials at different different clubs, or was was Coventry the only one? I I initially went to uh to Coventry and and loved everything about it. The setup, the people, um, at the club, everything they had to offer was was fantastic. Um, there was a few other clubs that had offered to go over and had offered trials, um, and whatnot. But the fact that they haven't been to Coventry, I think it was twice already, and then that instant offer of, of the contract, you know, to, well, it was initially 18 months of finishing my schooling over there, then the two years YT, three-year pro, it was like, 
flip me, I, I don't want to miss the boat here. I don't want to go and look at other places when they might move on. You, you yeah. know yourself, like, what it was like. They, they had the pick of, of everyone, you know, all over the world and, and the clubs at the time. So it was like, I don't want to miss this opportunity. If I waste, you know, three, four, five weeks going here, there and everywhere, do they, they withdraw the offer? Do I miss out on that opportunity to go? So I made my mind up to, to go to Coventry and... Um, you know, I, I was grateful for that opportunity and, and I was also thankful that there was other interest. You know, looking back, you think, Flip, I wonder if I'd have done this or done that, would it have worked out any different? But as I say, what, what Coventry gave to me in, in the, the four years, four and a half years I was there was, was absolutely fantastic. And, and it gave me a real good education into the game and, and a good education into the growing up and, and becoming a man. Yeah. What what senior players were there at Coventry at the time that you that you learned things off and took took bits and pieces then into into your own game even now as a senior player can happen. In terms of uh, the goalkeepers, there was actually quite a a large pool of, of goalkeepers that had came through sort of the gates of Coventry at the time. We we big Scott Shearer came down from Scotland. Luke Steele came alone from Man United. Stephen Bywater came alone from. West Ham at a period, um, big Martin Phillip from from Tottenham, Hungarian lad came alone. So, it was great to see all the different sort of cultures and, and stuff. Um, obviously with Scotty uh, being Scott from Scotland, big Martin being from from Hungary. You know, so seeing that side of it too, um, and then obviously with with Stephen and Luke being at, at Manchester United, and West Ham Premier League clubs. Yeah. Just the, just the intensity that that they trained at the little habits that they had picked up from some of the goalkeepers they had worked with and you know it was it was about trying to pick their brains as, as much as possible and, and put all the little bits together and finding what worked best for me and and, and obviously trying to, to add them then to, to, to my game and then coming sort of on the party how did that how did that move all came about obviously we we're coming to the end for three years um you know how Dick Campbell, the manager, Partick. Yeah. Um. How did how did that all come about? Did you have an agent and stuff at the time, it, or it, it was when funny. was the sort of first contact that you heard from? You know, going to Scotland. It was funny, mate, because the uh, the scout Willie McCone, who who you know, um, yeah, took me. Yeah, he was um obviously scouting for Coventry at the time, so he took me to Coventry. Um, and not long after that, then he got the opportunity to go and work for Man City. Mm-hmm. Um, and then very very quickly after that then Willie almost doubled up as an agent which then filtered in then becoming a full time agent so obviously having known Willie all my life and stuff Willie took me under his wing and looked after me um, and it was through him then that that, that that initially you know came to came to fruition and he said look would you would you be open to going to Scotland and, and going to Parnock and I was like well yeah you know certainly I'll I'll consider it I'll, I'll have a chat with the manager so I drove up to Scotland and I met with, with Dick Campbell and, and what a character, you know, just from, from the second I met him, just a big, larger than life character, loved it, loved his football, loved loved Partick Thistle and, you know, he had it, he had it sold to me in, in the space of, of one meeting and it was, it was very quickly then the turnaround because it was, that was the last sort of month of the season with Coventry and they were great at the time, they let me go up and speak to them and, and stuff, so... Um, it was it was a very quick turnaround, mate. As I say, I'd seen out the last three or four weeks of my contract, and um, then that was it. I had a summer break at at home and on holiday, and then that was it. I moved yeah. to Glasgow. It was how it old was were you whenever you went up to party? You must be nineteen. Me. Yeah, still yeah. very very young. Still young. Had had Dick said to you that it, he wanted you in as number one, or was it you and another guy sort of fighting for it? Because um, I know sort of like just looking here, it was sort of four years you were there. 
you know, you're very, very involved in playing a lot of games and, you know, we did do you look back at that time as probably, you know, something that kick started your career in terms of your performance and your consistency? Yeah, I would I would I would say that that's where it did all kick start in terms of making senior appearances and, and playing on a first team. Um Dick, from the first meeting, Dick explained to me that, that Kenny Arthur was there. Kenny had been at the club, I think it was 10 or 11 years, so he was, you know, he was an absolute club legend. He had the respect of everyone at the club, the fans and, and whatnot, and he got my total respect, um, which, which he deserved. But it was, I was at that point and I was at that age where I'd done my apprenticeship at Coventry. You know, yeah. I, I'd done that, I'd played in the reserves, never got the, the opportunity to play regularly in the first team, so it was, it's make or break for me now, you know, and I said that to Dick and I was like, look, Kenny will get my utmost utmost respect, but I'm here to play. And I think Dick appreciated that because for as much as he had his respect for Kenny, I don't think he just wanted someone that was happy to come in and, and sit and pick up a wage and, and just be about. Yeah. Um and initially it took me sort of probably four months to break into the team. Kenny started the season as number one and, and, and quite rightly so. Um and then I think it was around maybe November time I, I broke into the team and, and after that it was you know, more often than not, it was it was pretty plain sailing, a lot of hard work, and, and yes, there was dips in form, but you know, I managed to, to turn them around and, and stay in the team and, and enjoyed, you know, a, a great period there. Yeah, looking back, sort of over 30 appearances then for the next three three sort of seasons straight. I remember looking back, and there was links there with Rangers and other, other sort of Premier League clubs as well. Um, you know, she so had a really, really good run of games there. Um, have you any sort of amusing or stories about Dick Campbell that stands uh, out? Mate, Dick was like, there's, there's so many. Like Dick was, as I said earlier, such a larger than life character. Just so good. His man management, he had a really good assistant in Jimmy Bone who who took 95% of the coaching and that was all left to Jimmy. And, you know, Dick was really, really good. Man manager, really good with players. Knew what players needed a hug. Knew what players needed a, a boot in the backside. And it, it was my first pre-season and uh, we were up it was old school then, as you know, you know, you're in your country parks, running, you're flat out. running just constant <laughs> running, hill sprints, you know, it was almost run to your, run to your shit. And this particular day, no one had seen the, had seen the gaffer and we're away up, the squad's away up with the staff and we're doing these flipping runs around this big country park and it just seemed like it was never ending. And all of a sudden we're, we're coming back around to the start and we see the manager and he's got his flat, he loved his flat caps, he'd won for yeah. every day of the week. So we start with his flat cap on this massive cigar, mate, mate, it was like, honestly, it was like a tree trunk, you stand this massive <laughs> cigar, and the next thing you just see him, like, appear, like, he's just appeared out of the boot of his car, and he's just started teeing up golf balls, <laughs> so we're, we're, like, honestly, we're, like, flipping, on our hands and knees, absolutely exhausted, boys are flipping, in the bushes, throwing up, and Dick's just, launching golf balls down the park and you're going, I'm going to myself like what what have I got myself into do you know what I mean but as I say just just a larger than life character and, and really dealt well with the man management side of it and his players and, and how to how to get the best out of him and, and all those attributes really contributed to, to him and Jimmy as a, as a partnership and you know the, the the only people I could relate them to anywhere else in my career would be similar to the big David and Brian, you know, how, how similar they work and how, yeah. how closely they work. Brilliant. Um, was it, was he harsh on the younger? Would it, you know, you, you obviously young at the time, was he, was he harsh and demanding of you or, you know, what side of, what, what kind of sort of man manager was he? 
again, mate, he, he was very good at adapting to people's personalities. Um, there was a couple of lads in, in our squad at the time, younger lads who had broken into the first team and, um, you know, they'd, they'd sort of difficult periods away from football um, just from, from different sort of reasons and different backgrounds and, and he was fantastic with them in terms of he knew when they needed, you know, that love and that extra time and care and attention and, um, and to be honest, he was he was pretty firm on me because I think he sort of looked at it that he didn't want that me getting above my station or anything, you know, that came up from, from Coventry and whatever. And, and I, first and foremost, I had the earn the respect of him and the staff and, and the players. And, you know, he, yeah. he was he was hard on me. But again, there was times when, you know, out of the blue, he would call me in the office, cup of tea and, and just had a general chat about life. Because yeah. he obviously knew mum and dad were, were back, back here and stuff as well. It was... You know, we always checked in to see how you were coping being away and, you know, how the family was. And, and again, he was he was terrifically, even in terms of the odd time, it would have been like, right, have Monday off, go home and see the family, be back on Tuesday, you know. So he, yeah. knew, he knew when to do that. He, you know, he could see if, if you needed a day off here or there. And he was, you know, he was fantastic at, at just adapting to different people and, and their personalities and, and what they needed. Yeah, brilliant. So paint me a picture. Your next club sort of Inverness. Um, absolutely flying a Partick were they in the the first division we were, the yeah we then? were in the first division yeah so so going really really well and then Inverness were obviously in the, in the Premier League yeah was that there's probably two ways of looking at it obviously you've got your opportunity then to go to Inverness and, and, and play and you know obviously back your ability um, you know and Partick to, was, was there times there whenever you had regretted the the decision to go to Inverness and then you know maybe just sort of stay at Partick where you were playing maybe you know thirty forty games a season. Yeah. How did you, how did you sort of come to come to terms with you know not playing as much at at Inverness? It it was really difficult, Chris, to be honest. Um, and it was it was probably the hardest decision I've ever had to make in terms of do I stay or do I go. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and I spoke to the numerous people that that I trusted in the game at the time. Um, I'd obviously broke into the, the international setup with Partick, um, mm-hmm. you know, and then having spoken to Nigel uh, Worthington, who was the manager at the time, you know, he seen it as a as a positive that you know does that then push me on to the next level? Does it draw me closer to Big Mike? You know, we all knew Mike wasn't going on forever. Yeah, and I'm not saying I would have been would have became Northern Ireland's number one, not for one second, but it was that opportunity of if I'm playing in the top flight in Scotland every week I'm doing well you know does that move me another step up the ladder yeah. you know with the international setup or, or just you know bolstering my sort of profile so eventually made the I haven't spoken to Terry Terry Butcher numerous times and, and whatnot made the decision to go um, and it didn't work out you know you've been in the situation yourself you speak to managers things are said things are or promised or whatever and, and they don't always always you know turn out the, the way they, they've been told you or, or the way you think they should but look there was another another great goalkeeper there at the time in, in Ryan Essen and uh, Terry decided to, to stick by him mm-hmm. um, it became a little bit more frustrating at, at uh, Inverness because there was times and there was opportunities I felt that you know I, I should have been given my opportunity to play and I wasn't yeah. Um, and the difficult thing with, with Inverness as well was it, you were so far up north in Scotland right away. you know if, if you were playing say Rangers, Shatley, Kilmarnock things like that you were, you went into train on a Friday morning and that was you then the, the, you know you went and stayed overnight so then you weren't back home to maybe 10, 11 on a Saturday yeah. night so you're away for two full days no one fine rightly driving down the road on a Friday I'm going to stay in a hotel and, and eat right sleep right hydrate right do everything properly to sit on the bench. Now, 
it's one yeah. of those where anything can, people say anything can happen. It's really, really unlikely a goalkeeper gets injured or sent off. You yeah. know, compared to where you're an outfielder, you can maybe slot in in two, three, four different positions. So from that that side of it, it did get more and more frustrating. But I have to say, it was it was an incredible club with with incredible people throughout from top to bottom. Um, yeah, and I, I actually did really enjoy my time up there. Um, beautiful, beautiful part of the world. Um, some amazing golf courses, which which sort of helped a bit as well yeah. <laughs> when I wasn't playing as much. But uh, but in ter- in terms of the football, it, it it was really frustrating just being limited to, you know, sort of playing in the cup games or the odd league appearance, you know, here or there. Um, but again, you learn then so much how to deal with with that side of it, and you know that's where you've got to be mentally strong. You've got to keep your character. You've got to be professional. You've got to go in and train properly every day and. And I would like to think, you know, more often than that, yeah. I, I, I done that. Yeah, that's what that's what I was going to ask you. Sort of, you know, because fans, um, you know, different people looking in, and maybe players as well, sort of looking from the outside in, is, you know, they don't see you putting in the graft all week in training, and then come to a Saturday, you know, you're not playing. The the reason that you know footballers and what they look forward to is a game on a Saturday. So if you're grafting all week. You know, how how did you deal with that mentally? You know, because a lot of the times I spoke about successes and highs in football and, you know, winning trophies and winning games and, you know, but this here is the, the other side of the football, you know, which most footballers go through in their career in terms of training all week and then not really getting anything, the, the end result out of it on Saturday. So how did, how did that affect you mentally in terms of, you know, how draining was it? There's, um, there's times it was, it was really tough, Chris. Um, you know, really, really hard to to sort of see light at the end of the tunnel, if you like. Um, but again, the, the the overriding emotion that I always had, and the one thing I always came back to was, I never if if and when I was going to leave or move to another club, as you well know, managers speak to other managers or assistant yeah. managers do, or they speak to scouts or whatever. And I, I never ever wanted to get a reputation of being a spoiled brat, being a troublemaker, being someone that, you know, just put it off and was had no interest in. And I always wanted to have, have that sort of in my that that string to my bow that no look see even when the tough get it gets going and and whatever it gets hard you know he he's a man you want in your corner he he'll work hard he'll do what he has to do and. And don't get me wrong, look, I'm, I'm not saying that, that I was an angel those times. Yeah, I lost my head in training and maybe had a pop with someone or whatever. As you do. Yeah, you know, we've all, we've all been there We're and we've all done it. Exactly. And, and it was more out of, of that frustration of, I'm not going to pan and I'm not getting an opportunity. All I want to do is play. Um, so, so that's where it, it led to. But again, that's where, you know, you, you just try and believe in, in, your, in your own sort of core beliefs as a person. Try and keep yourself right and be as, as professional as you can and, and particularly at Inverness because I knew I wasn't going to get an opportunity I knew I was going to have to move on to wherever that may be and, and I just didn't want that sort of baggage if you like to follow me of being no nah, don't touch him he's a troublemaker if he's not playing he throws the toys out the pram yeah um, so two, 2012-2013 season um, a uh, small spell in at St Johnson um I want I want you to tell me about obviously we've got, you know, Davy and Brian and, and conversation with them, but how how did your time um at Limfield come about and I want just I want you to sort of paint me a picture in terms of, you know, how David and Brian work on on attracting uh, attracting players to, to a club. Because everyone obviously me and me and you've worked, 
you know, together under them both. Um, yeah. And I've spoken to numerous, numerous, numerous other people that say once you sort of speak to them or once you're in the room with them, it's it's almost impossible to yeah that, that's, know, to turn them down with that, you know what they're giving you and what they're sending you. So you know if you can sort of tell people they've never been in that experience of you know working together with them and you know in terms of in terms of actually probably not even have ever spoken to them before what what's their key you know talents and and attract them boys to, to come and come and play for them the the biggest thing that that struck a chord with me about about david first and foremost was he knew everything about me as johnny tuffy the person yeah then johnny tuffy the footballer so for the first I don't know, half an hour, 45 minutes that I, the first time I went to speak to David, it was all about me, all about Johnny Tuffy, the person, my family situation, my son, my parents, it was everything about me as a person, went like, knew absolutely everything, and I mean, it, it was scary, it was like, it was almost like me sitting looking in the mirror talking about my life, Yeah. you know, he knew everything, he knew what, what buttons to push, he knew how to really sort of get under my skin and, and make me sit up in my seat a wee bit and almost to the point where it was like a release that flip I, I can speak to someone about this I can get this all out here and I, and I can speak openly and honestly and freely about exactly how I felt about every situation that, that arose within that conversation yeah and then when, when we went on then to talk about obviously me as a footballer it, like it was as if you were the best goalkeeper in the world mm-hmm. <laughs> you know and, and you're, I'm sitting there going wow is this how highly this this man thinks of me? He's only ever seen me play maybe a handful of times or or whatever. Th- this man thinks I'm the best goalkeeper in the world. I, I, like, and then there was also a little bit of flip. Well, if David thinks that highly of me and he thinks that I'm that good, can I still do it across the water? But again, just the, the more and more and more I spoke to David, it was like there's only one place I want to play. There's only one manager I want to I want to play for. And then you add Brian and where. Brand's life is twenty four seven football. You know that. Yeah. Speaking like, there's not a thing McGlad doesn't know about a player in the Irish league or further afield in terms of their football and ability. What what their strengths, weaknesses, everything about them. He can play this, that, the other, everything. And then when you speak to Brand about that, you're almost mesmerized. It's yeah. like wow. How and then when you get to work with him and you see the lengths that that Brand goes to, how he constructs a session, the way he gets the best out of players from a pure footballing point of view. Was, was phenomenal mate and, and you've been there and, and, and obviously as you said work with him and you see that then you add back into the mix David and his man management and when he needs to come down onto the training ground and crack the whip yeah. and, you know and, and then how much then he also gets that and again has that soft side to him of knows when players need a, a hug and a, a little bit of love and a bit of reassurance again and, and built back up but but in terms of them as a package mate I, I've honestly I've never barred Dick Campbell and Jimmy Bowen would be the closest thing I've I've seen to the Brian and David, but again they're they're not as as special in my opinion as what as what Brian and David are and, yeah. and how they work together. And it, and that was it two years there at Linfield. Yeah. Two years at Linfield. So you yeah. had was it one year under David and then yeah one under David and Brian and, yeah my second season under uh under Warren and so, Andy Todd and and the first season um. Obviously, at this time, at this probably spell in Linfield's history, they were going through a bit of a transition period. Yeah. Um. I think that David had, was it round about sort of January, halfway through the season, that he announced that he, he was stepping down in, at the end of the season. Um. And then obviously Warren came in then for, for the 2014-2015. 
how how did you was that an unsettling time at Limfield, you know, on the pitch and and in the changing room, or, you know, what was the reason for for the team sort of not being successful? Was it the other teams were maybe just having their spell or? I think you know, could, you, could yeah, you put your finger on it. I think particularly at that time, Cliftonville were flying. Cliftonville were really really strong. Uh, Crusaders as well. Those those couple of seasons. Um, myself talking about myself first I struggled initially when I came home um, because everything had been flipped you know you go from being a professional footballer your life set out you knew your whole routine what you were doing every day how, how that went for however many years I'd done that to come home to have absolutely nothing during the day apart from dropping the wee man to school picking him up maybe going to the gym and then all of a sudden come half five at night it's like Flip, I've got to go to training now. Yeah. You know, and then all of a sudden you're not home to maybe half nine, ten o'clock, have your dinner. How long would you have, you know, how long would you say that it took you to get used to, as you say, uh, from 16 yeah. years ago? I, I, would, I would say, Chris, it probably took me a good four, four or five months and until I actually got back in then to do a little bit of work um, when I was coaching in the, in the primary schools. And I had that structure and routine um, Monday to Friday that once that developed and I got into that routine and, and I knew the structure then that's when I really settled um, and, and really got the grips with, with being at home and, and this is how it is now. Um, but in terms of, in terms of the team, um, we were up and down that, that season. Um, and then when David announced that, that he was leaving, um, it actually brought us as a squad, it brought us closer together because we wanted to achieve something for David because David had brought so many of us in, as you said, there was a rebuilding going on at the time and David had brought so many of us in. Um, and there were still obviously a few players there that, that had been under Davy for years, but we almost came closer together. We were, we were desperate, and it, part of me actually believes that we were too desperate and made rash decisions and, and done daft things on the pitch that probably if we'd have just took a step back and relaxed and sort of let the season play out and just went and played and done what we knew we could yeah. do and, and what our strengths were as, as players, we... We probably would have would have achieved more, um. But I, w- I wouldn't say it, un- it unsettled anyone. Um, I I honestly and, and I genuinely believe it. It probably brought everyone closer together because of, of the huge respect we all had for David and and for the fact of him bringing us to to Linfield and, and giving us an opportunity there. Yeah, in the two thousand fifteen season, two thousand fourteen to two thousand fifteen, um. Obviously, a new manager then Warren had come in. What was sort of you obviously you'd played with Warren as a player with with Northern Ireland and stuff like that. But is it hard that you know somebody as a player? Um, you know, obviously Warren was probably one of the experienced, one of the lads, lads of the of the Northern Ireland team and stuff like that. Is is the relationship different then, and and how difficult is it for that relationship in terms of, you know, you know the player as a player, and then working on them again as a manager? Yeah, it's difficult, mate, because, as you say, obviously I played with Warren, um, knew Warren as a, as a character and as a person um, from, from that side of it. Um, and it was, obviously, it was obviously difficult for Warren too because it was, it was Warren's first job yeah. um, as a manager. He had to stamp his authority. And look, Warren got my utmost respect as a manager, first and foremost, because that, that was his role now. He was a manager. He wasn't a player anymore. Well, sorry, he was player manager, but first and foremost for me, he was the manager of Limfrey Football Club. He was my manager, so he got, he got that respect, and um, that that side of it was fine. It, it was just difficult at times because you're almost going to speak to your manager about problems or issues you have, but in the back of your head, there's something going. Well, 
that's my mate. That's a, that's a, that's yeah. my mate I used to play with. So that side of it was probably a little bit more difficult in in, in terms of the relationship and. You know, I, Ivan Sproul was the same. Ivan was at the Blues at the time, and you know, Ivan was even closer to Warren than what I was. Um, you know, Ivan lived not far from Warren, and, and we spent a lot of time with him and stuff. And you know, even Ivan had said, you know, it, it's totally different, and it, it's not because either one of us or whatever was doing anything different. It, it's just a totally different environment. I, I had the same experience as well. I know that I was just a young kid at Ipswich, but uh, and Jim and Jim was obviously the captain whenever I was sort of breaking through or you know on the fringes. But even the relationship then, whenever, for me, like I, I, I asked Jim about it there a couple of weeks ago, you know, on an episode, and for him, there was no difference. Yeah. But for players, you know, yeah. there's obviously players like Darren Curry and Alan Lee who were, who were really, really close to him. And, you know, just to sort of get their feedback on it, you know, I think it definitely does change in terms yeah, and, of... And see, to be fair, Jim, Jim's probably right, mate. The, the manager doesn't. Um, the manager probably doesn't change because he just sees it as well I'm the manager he, he's total control basically yeah. whereas the players do view it differently because all of a sudden this, this is someone you went from sharing a changing room with having a bit of banter having a bit of crack to how far can I go now where's, where's, the, yeah, where's the line draw of I can still have a bit of banter with him but I can't yeah, I can't go any further than that if that if that makes sense, you know. Yeah. So from that that point of view, it it was difficult, and look that that season as a whole was difficult. Um, I went through a bad four or five games. Warren took me out of the team quite rightly. So Ross Glendinning come in, who who's another super keeper, um, and deserved to play. Um, but the difficult part for me was then when when Ross had a little indifferent period. I didn't go back in straight away. Um, yeah. Which, look, all managers are entitled to make decisions. They're the manager at the end of the day. Um, but that, that season in particular was, was difficult. And, and, you know, eventually it, it came to, to me moving on. And that, that's part and parcel of football. That, that's the way it is. And, you know, I've, it was no hard feelings towards Warren or anyone that I've met Warren since. And, and you know, that, that's just the way football goes, as, as we all know. Yeah. How did it come about, sort of, you moving on? When did you, when did you find out? Um, it was it was, it was the, the yeah it was it was right at the end of the season, mate. Um, they done they actually done nothing until till after the last game of the season, um, and we we played we played Porter down the last game of the season at Shamrock, and I wasn't even in the squad. I didn't know. I turned up to be honest with you. I, I'd been playing the last few games, so I I turned up fully expecting to play last game of the season. If I'm totally honest, a little bit in the back of my head was it's probably my last game for the for the club. Um and Warren announced the team on the bench and I wasn't I wasn't on I wasn't playing, I wasn't on the bench. So to be honest, it sort of got my back up a wee bit in terms of well I was like, well, I could have been told, you know. Um but again that that's part and parcel of the game and then after the game I, I spoke to the manager um and he just says um, everyone's in for a meeting on I think it was the Monday or the Tuesday night. So I was in for a meeting on the uh Monday night, I think it was, the goalkeeping coach at the time, Johnny Williamson, came and, came and got me. Um, went in the office, had a chat with Warren. Um, he and, and the club had decided they were going with, with the two younger goalkeepers. They were going with Ross and, and Gareth. And uh, and that was it, basically. Mate. That, that, yeah. was, that was, you know, how quickly it, it, it all happened. You know, it was a 10-minute conversation and, and, and that was my, my time at Linfield 
over. Yeah, I think there was a lot of you that year, wasn't there? It was you and Billy Joe and Yeah, there was quite a yeah, there was mate, there was quite a few. Yeah. Ivan was the same. Ivan. Yeah. Maybe Galtney as well, or or Ribsy, maybe they were the year after, but there was sorta of, as I say, they were going through that transition period of, of and the managers, in, yeah, and managers want their own players. They want their own stamp on the team, and and you know that's that's what Warren decided to do. So, you know, absolutely no problems. That's that's part and parcel of 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 the game for me. Yeah. So move, moving on to Glenavon, then we moved our two thousand fifteen to two thousand sixteen. What what was it about? You know, Gary and obviously Wendy at the time, who who was at Glenavon. What sort of you know what did they say to you? What made it Glenavon so appealing? Well, initially, um, went went and met Gary and Wendy, and um, just had a had a great conversation with them. Um, in terms of they really wanted to bring me to the club first and foremost. Mm. Um, James McGrath was there, who'd who'd played, um, who'd been the number one, and and you know they were very open and honest. That look, it's uh, it's a blank canvas. Come in, see what you can do. There's no promises being made, but, um told me all about the club, uh, really liked what they had to say in terms of how the, how the club operated, what, what they were about and um, decided to, to sign and you know, Wendy and Gary are, you know, they're larger than life characters and uh, and I like that, I like that side of it, um, you know, and uh, as I say, you know, I, I grew particularly close to, to Wendy first um, and, and you know, just really, really liked the way Wendy went about his business and, and how he conducted things and Having grown closer to Gary, Gary since you know I've I've got a great relationship with Gary and you know it, it's one that I, I can go and knock his door and speak to him uh, you know about anything any any time I need to. Yeah, so for people looking from the the in sort of the outside in, can you describe sort of what type of characters Wendy and, and Gary of you know are obviously they've done an unbelievable job there in terms of qualifying for Europe Irish Cup success, um you know great league runs and stuff you know since you've been there what. What is it about them that gets the best, you know, out of, out of especially experienced players like yourself? You know, I like yeah. through the years, obviously, you've had yourself, um, you know, Winky Murphy's another one, um, Kieran Martin, um, to name a few. What is it sort of like, you know, that gets gets the best out of them them players that are experienced, maybe over sort of the age of 30? Sammy Clinton's another one. Yeah, um, I, th- I think that's the biggest thing, Chris, as well. Initially, we're going to when Gary went in and he knew he needed to get experience in the changing room. Mm-hmm. And the number of experienced players he signed that still had plenty of miles on their legs um, was key. But I think almost by signing the amount of experienced players that he signed, the changing room ran itself. Yeah. You know, the experienced players knew when to have a laugh, but they also knew when it was going too far. Yeah. That, right, enough's enough. You know, it's it's work time, it's serious. Um, and, and Gary would admit this himself. You know, Gary's a big matchstick. You know, the, the Gary's staff do, do the coaching and stuff, and that's where... Uh, Wendy was brilliant. You know, Wendy was that big, um, the authority figure on the training ground. Um, you know, there's been different coaches over the year that would maybe take lead on the sessions, but Wendy's that big voice, that big character. You know that yes, loves a laugh and a joke, loves a bit of banter, but knows when to be serious, knows when the standards aren't right, and drags it back up the word, the word should be. But again, going back to my original point, there was there was that many senior players initially when I signed that it. it was very very rare that it got to that stage where Gary or Wendy had to do it because there was massive characters that that could do that you know mm-hmm. for them, um. But listen, when when it needed done and when it needed to come from from Gary or Paul, there was there was absolutely no fear or no qualms from them in in uh, in doing that and and letting the players know. But I also think they they had a very good knack of when they introduced younger players. 
I was, I was uh, just going to come on that. You know, the likes of Bobby Burns, Reese Marshall, Mark Sykes, to yeah, name a few. Uh, you know, yeah, James Single, Andy McCrory. You know, you could you could go on. But I also think then that they knew that the experienced experienced players obviously were going to start to filter out. You know, through injury, retirement, whatever it was. And they just seemed to, to breed the right batch and the right amount of the younger players at the right time. And they seemed to get the mix of it more often than not. They got it right. Yeah. Um, you know, and I think you look at the younger lads that have came through, obviously now Reese and, and Sexy and Bobby have moved on, but and so is Andy McGrory, but the likes of James Singleton and, and stuff that yes, he's still only a young lad, but he's ex- he's so experienced, you know, for his age, he, you know, played however many games in yeah. the league, one, two Irish Cups. Um, you know, for for a young lad, and you know, so we've got that experience now, in terms of the amount of games players have played, even though they might be, you know, still young in age, you know, and I think then you look at the signings we've made this season in terms of bringing Colin Coach to the club, born leader, born winner, knows what it takes to win trophies, big Colin Burney's come in, Snoddy's come in, Robbie Garrett, you know, flipping won numerous trophies, knows what it's like to be under that pressure of of winning games every week winning competing and winning leagues cups Irish cups so I, I just feel there's a really really good blend um, even in the squad now um, of, of experience and, and of younger players that have, have so much ability and so much talent to, to hopefully fulfil and, and, and try and take the, the club forward and, and drag us back up back up the league where we would like to be like to be competing yeah we get we got to be one for setting targets at the start of the season you know we, we want to be sort of in european place we want to be challenging for the league we want maybe an irish cup you know or yeah you know even the likes of you guys you know senior players the likes of you know yourself start of next season colin coates you know ribsy you know do you set any targets at yeah, the start we, of the yeah, season we do. yeah you know the first the first night back of, of pre-season you know we have a meeting and, and we sort of outline where we where we would like to be and you know, and there's individual challenges set by the players themselves, and and you know then collective collective challenges and and targets of of what we want to hit as as a squad and and as a club and and you know yourself like sometimes you go through maybe two three months and and you feel invincible and thought, you know the results are just reeling off the belt and you're absolutely flying and then the real the real test of characters and, and of personalities within your changing room is is obviously then when when you hit that rough period and. You know that this season has been poor by our standards, you know, individually and collectively. But you know, by and large, my time at Glenavon, I think we've we've had a very good balance, and and yeah. you know, we've we've achieved we've achieved really really well for one for the players we've had, two for the for the budget Gary's worked off, and and you know I think it's I think it's testament to Gary and, and his staff over the years, you know, to take the club from the bottom three and surviving relegation on the last day in his first season to. You know, I think it was was it four European finishes in in five seasons and two Irish cups yeah. in in four or two and three. You know, so it, it it's a phenomenal record and a and a really really top job he's he's done at the club. Absolutely. Um, moving on, just sort of speak a wee bit about your international career. Um, obviously you've sort of played in all the age groups going up. Um, I think it was from seventeen, nineteen, under twenty ones, um, and then up for you know obviously the the full international squad as well. Um, how sort of proud was it for you and, and your family to, to represent Northern Ireland at the, the full cap level? Oh, it was it was the proudest moment in my career. Um, Hungry, know, was it Hungary your debut? Yeah, Hungary. Hungary was my debut. I came on at half time and then my first start was against against Italy the night you played. We, we played together that night. Yeah. Um, 
but like, like yourself, mate, you know, it, it's every young kid's dream growing up. You know, once you once you make that step to become a professional footballer, the next one is can I break into the first team? Can I break into the international setup? And because we played through the age groups together and, and shared some great tournaments and 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 whatnot with the with the under age groups with the twenty ones and you know, we were probably of the same same belief that we were just itching to get that opportunity, you know, and, and always wondering would it come, would it come? But you know, when it does and you know, you're standing in on the touchline coming on to make your debut, you know, the hairs on the back of your neck are standing up. It's it's the most incredible feeling. It's it's the pinnacle of your of your career for me and you know, you've you've had, had that feeling as well and it, you know, it really is something that that's hard to put into words. Um, yeah. but you know, it's just immense pride, excitement, um, you know, and, and joy and, and you, you know, it's 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 the best best feeling in, in football for me. Was there anyone in particular in and sort of obviously the standards you go up and you know, national team is probably one of the highest standards there, you know, that you can go. Did you notice the standards straight away go sky high whenever you went into the squad? And who was the players then that, who was the players actually sort of helped you out coming in? And, you know, then again, who was the players that sort of stood out and apart from the rest? Well, obviously being a goalkeeper, I was I was training closely with, with the goalkeepers and Mike Taylor was, was incredible, Um, you know, really, really good. Uh, in terms of just spending time with you, encouraging you, talking to you about things, you know, putting an arm around you. Um, even when we weren't training, you know, you'd have spent a lot of time with Mike having a coffee or, or whatever. It, Mike was f- fantastic that way. But in, in, in terms of the stand, as were other players as well, um, but particularly close with, with the goalkeepers because you were working with them. Um, but in terms of the standard, yeah, you could you could see straight away, you know, you were there was seasoned Premier League players there, um, you know, the likes of you. Johnny Evans, Chris Brunt, Steve Davis, Sammy Klingen, David Healy, Keith Gillespie, George McCartney, you know, just an array of talent. And and the one I probably ended up coming closest to was, was Steve Davis because Davo then came to Rangers when I was a party and I would have spent a lot of time with, with Davo away from football as well. So uh-huh. um, you know, and, and the biggest thing that always struck me about about Steve was how humble and, and how grateful he was, you know, for such a great talent and everything he's gone on to achieve in the great in the game. You know, just so humble and so thankful and, and had so much respect for everything that the football had, had given to him. Yeah, absolutely. Was was he the one then that sort of stuck out apart from the rest? Yeah, as it, he, he himself was and Johnny Evans. Yeah, himself and Johnny Evans. You know, as I say, the rest had so much quality and so much ability, mate. And it's not to be disrespectful to anyone else, but you could just tell there was there was something you know really special about about Davo and, and about Johnny uh, Evans. Yeah, I think them too. If you you know obviously Gareth McCauley up there as well, but they're they're sort of the ones that have played at the highest level in the Premier League. Yeah, you know for so long, and then obviously you know Steve Davis now at Rangers as well. Um, so over four hundred appearances later, you know it's unbelievable. You know you're still only what thirty three. What's what's your sort of targets? Um. You know, for the future, and how do you, how do you see that sort of future panning out for yourself? Well, initially, I want to play, obviously, mate, as as long as I as long as I can. You know, I want I want to play at the highest level as long as I can. You know, hopefully, I stay fit, stay injury free, and try and try and play as many games as as I can, providing that I'm I'm still playing well. I don't I don't want to be one of these that just hangs on for the sake of it, and you end up undoing a lot of the good work you've done. You know, yeah. previously in your career. Um, so first and foremost that that's the target and then you know the end goal for me is 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 to become a manager you know that's where I would like to eventually get to and finish up at um, is, is managing um, yes I've got to go through 
my coaching badges, I've got to earn my stripes on the on the training ground and, and coaching first and foremost, um, which I actually do enjoy and, and I'm doing little bits of. But the the end goal for me when when I finish is, is obviously to become to become a manager. Happy days. Is we is we man still playing as well? Is yeah, he... he's he's still playing. He's he's the goalkeeper as well over at the academy show at Glenavon's academy show. Absolutely loves it. Loves getting the gloves on and, and diving about and stuff. So so that's good. And, and obviously I'm I'm doing a bit of training with him now during lockdown and stuff. So yeah, it's it's good. He has an interest in the game and and, and whatnot. So he doesn't really have a choice to be for obviously me playing and, and Danielle still plays with with Crusader strikers and stuff. So he, he's football mad mate and and he, he loves it. He loves being around the club with me. He loves being up at up at Danielle's football and stuff as well. So. Yeah, he, he enjoys it, Pop. Brilliant. Just one, one last thing. I just wanted to get your opinion. Obviously, the last eight nine weeks, season season has stopped. There's been different rumors of you know the season cancelling or you know we've now got to the thirtieth well, was thirtieth of June now that the the decision has now been pushed pushed back to. Um, Scotland itself have obviously they they've cancelled the season. Um, I think Holland done the same. France done the same. Obviously, England's you know restarting it. Um, sort of halfway through June. How do you see yourself in terms of your opinion on it? What would you like to see to be done? And you know, can it is it is it going to be possible to? Well, I think know, I, yeah, I think carry that, that on. I think that's the the number one thing for me. There's a hundred and one scenarios that that could potentially happen, and they all have by with the powers that be here who dictate our football and circumstances. Every scenario has to be played out and through. They have to have a clear pathway and all the answers for every single eventuality or question that could be that could be thrown at them by the by the clubs. Um I think again then it's even more difficult for, for players who are out of contract. Um in terms of it their contract could be extended if we go back to finish the season, you know, players aren't earning earning any wages and things like that. You know, there's so many different things that that have to be taken into consideration. The one, the one thing for me, and, and this is, it's my opinion, and for me, it's the most important. We can only return to football when it's one hundred percent safe. We we cannot ask players, staff, officials, fans, anyone, to put their, not only themselves but other people at the club at risk, or then going home to their families to put their yeah. families at risk. You know, I just think. First and foremost, they've got to make a decision. They, they've got to make a decision one way or another. But either way they make that decision, they've got to have all the answers. They've got to have all the, the scenarios played out on a clear pathway of what football in Northern Ireland for every level is going to look like for the next six months, two years, three years, whatever it is. There's got to be a clear pathway, clear answers for everyone so everyone knows exactly where they stand. Um, but again, the one overriding emotion in it all for me is it has to be 100% safe before yeah. anyone returns the, and then the, the thing as well it. is like I know obviously England they have obviously the wealthy owners they have the television money they have all the sponsorship money so they them guys can probably you know without a hit a major hit they can afford to play their, their games behind closed doors mm-hmm. whereas the bread and butter of the Irish League you know clubs need people to come through the gates oh to, definitely yeah the first and yeah. foremost probably put on matches never mind play wages you know yeah definitely um, so in, ter- in terms of that in terms of next season as well if you do extend you know is next season then going to be made shorter what oh, are they yeah. going to do then with the European places 
yeah, you know, that's Portadown going to come off from the championship? Who yeah. then gets relegated? So there's all these yeah, and that, that, different that, that, scenarios. That's exactly my point. There's, there's so many different questions that can be asked by every single club, every single player, chairman, manager, whatever it is. And, and until they have all the answers for them, questions and, and those scenarios, then that's probably why an announcement hasn't been made. But the longer it drags on, the more frustration there seems to be yeah. with managers, clubs, players, fans, everything. So I think that, for me, that's where their focus has to be. They've got to get all those questions and all those scenarios played out and answered. And they've got to make a clear statement of, this is how we proceed. This is what's best for the clubs, the players, the officials, the fans, safety of everyone, and then we've all got the we've all got to buy into it and, and go with it and make it, it work as best we can. You can you can understand. I can certainly understand. I know it's not great for the likes of me and probably ninety to hundred dollars that are that are out of contract. You know, just gone the thirty first of May. Um, you know, it's not great for us. But I can understand their point of view where they are holding off and giving themselves as much time as possible to to come to the right decision but even I, I think even whenever a decision is made you know for instance you know everything stays the way it is now and you know let's just say everything stays the way it is poor downstairs in the championship you know whoever's in the premiership stay you know they do make that decision in terms of where you are now you get the European spots there's going to be appeals left right and centre massively made you know, and so that's it they're never going to please everyone. and is them appeals then going to carry in the next year isn't it you know, know yeah. what I mean so whatever sort of decision that is made that's why would it have been better making the decision early so by the time the appeals do yeah. come in or whatever you know then you can start the next season yeah possibly mate and, and I think that's that's probably a, a really good point mate in terms of whatever conclusion they come to and whatever decisions they make and, and the announcement and, that they come out with they're not going to be able to please everyone. You yeah. know, everyone's going to have an opinion on it. People are going to have gripes with it. But I think what they have to do, if they make the statement, whatever decision they make, they have to be able to back it up and stand by it. Mm-hmm. And if it's for the greater good of, of football and for the safety of everyone involved in football in Northern Ireland, then if they can back that up and they make it a statement with clear initiatives going forward, then then I think that that they come out of it, you know, with their heads held high. Luckily, we don't have to sort that Thanks side out. Thankfully, <laughs> not. <laughs> no, listen, mate, thanks very much for letting me come no down problem. to sunny Donna Cloney. <laughs> Thank and, you for uh, having me, mate. Take care of yourself, mate. Cheers, yes, Johnny. you too. Look after the family, mate. Good luck.